And a lot of these guys will probably argue that they do have personality, but it's a kind of overdone false personality that doesn't really mean anything. And, and the reader, the viewer can pick up on that. They can see when you're standing there and forcing this, this unrealistic personality on us. It's a kind of, it's a made up illusion of a personality. And that's, that creates distance because we can feel it. You can feel the, the weirdness around that. And that's, I don't know, it's, it's still, it's still amazing that so many people tend to view people who push that kind of false personality. You see a lot of popular videos with people who are like overly charismatic, right? And they do very well, but um, also goes to show how kind of easily swayed a lot of people are. It's like, hey, he's got, he's got a pleasant personality. I'll stick with him for a bit, but I think over, over the long term, that kind of stuff gets tiring. Sounds good to me. I did see a little bit of the Jack Butcher interview, and I know that you did a bit of a, a quick fire round at the end as well, right? <laughs> that, <laughs> so I was kind of men- mentally preparing for the possibility of that. Oh, I think it was. I think it was because we were live as well. I think we were live on YouTube and Twitter. I'm not doing that anymore at the minute, so okay. the there isn't a risk of, or, or rather, a pleasure of a, a, a live question round. Unfortunately, at the minute. Oh. Crying emoji. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whatever works. Whatever what is it, whatever works organically, I'm good with. And I, I like the idea of just having a conversation. That sounds good. Well, I, I, I say this. I must say this at the beginning of every podcast now, that I'm betting that long-form conversations will become way more popular in the content world. I say that with quotation mm. marks. Because, surprise, surprise, people enjoy listening to unedited conversations way more than they enjoy listening to me asking you 20 questions about your life so alex where are you from oh how how did that happen Uh, you know the the whole podcast format Mm -hmm. i think that format is ruining podcasts to be perfectly honest to the point where i don't really listen to that many anymore either because that's the same on every podcast that's the thing you do see it quite a lot. It has been done to death, especially with people who've just started a new podcast. They're going to have that set of questions and it can feel a little bit robotic for sure. And I think that's what puts people off. It's got, it sort of takes away from the human one-to-one quality of it. And, and, and also the spontaneity of the conversation, which is, I think the best part. Yeah. It's, it's the, it's the thing I've said yeah. so many times. Every conversation has a cadence and it, yeah. for, for me, I always see my role in this to kind of understand that cadence understand how you want to talk and match you at that cadence it's like a dance like an improv dance that we're doing um oh and if (laughs) (laughs) and and if and if i just sit here breaking that cadence over and over by asking you stupid questions it breaks that flow it gets into a blah 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 alex blah 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 blah, alex that's what you mean and the You're essentially kind of re- resetting the conversation with each new question. Yeah, and you, I, I, f- I feel like you get into that kind of YouTube thing, which I've seen some of your YouTube videos. You don't do this, but you get into this YouTube thing where you have this, uh, you know, the, 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 big, the big grand intro. Hi, hi, guys. Welcome to the channel. Make sure you hit subscribe and like. Um, today we're going to be talking about this and then some pumping music after that, and then you go back into the video. Yeah. I, ju- I just feel some, like some b-roll yeah yeah i, I just kind of 
I feel like a lot of those formats have been done to death now. I mean, you're you're not new to making content online, are you? You're clearly not. No, I'm certainly not a pro at it, but I don't. Um, I don't tend to follow the kind of the crowd's um, way of doing things, and I, I tend to make it easier for myself and just choosing a, a simple route that doesn't take too much pre-thought or pre-planning, and do what sort of feels good. And I think for me, the, the key thing is, you know, whatever spurs on creativity and originality, that for me is important. So that's why I never script anything out because I tend to get bored by the idea of reading out off a script and that kind of takes the, the edge off the thing. I, I like to explore the idea through the live process, just doing it. Yeah. But I know what you mean. It's, it can be kind of off-putting when you see stuff that's been done to death and it's like, Where's, where's the life in this? It's, it's sort of drained of a human quality. Yeah. I've, I've spent a lot of my time probably over the last five months bemoaning content and taking the piss out of James Clear and other things like this. And it it isn't even, it's not even really about James Clear or it's not even really about that style of content, you know, self-improvement content. I think it can still be really, 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 really good if mm. you just you just had some personality to it. I mean, shock horror, mm. you just had some personality to it, and, and it can actually be quite good. I honestly think you can, you can talk about anything you choose online if, shock horror, you have a personality. But it, it's, mm. it just feels like it's the first thing that gets removed from everybody because they follow the same formula that everybody else is following. So... They, right. they, the personality is the first thing that goes when, to me, it always feels like the personality is, is the thing, the only thing that differentiates you, isn't it? There's nothing else. Mm. That's true. And a lot of these guys will probably argue that they do have personality, but it's a kind of overdone, false personality that doesn't really mean anything. And, and the reader, the viewer can pick up on that. They can see when you're standing there and forcing this, this unrealistic personality on us. It's a kind of, it's a made up, illusion of a personality and that's that creates distance because we can feel it you can feel the the weirdness around that and that's i don't know it's it's still it's still amazing that so many people tend to view people who push that kind of false personality you see a lot of popular videos with people who are like overly charismatic right and they do very well but um also goes to show how kind of easily swayed a lot of people are it's like hey he's got he's got a pleasant personality i'll stick with him for a bit but i think over over the long term that kind of stuff gets tiring and people people are now having having gone through a phase i guess through youtube of seeing a lot of people who are kind of over the top i think it, we're getting into a phase now where it's a lot more refreshing just to see some down-to-earthness reveal itself mm. and that's going to separate separate perhaps a new a new phase of of people well, that that's the by the thing. way. Are we are we doing are we doing this at the moment? Are we live? At the moment? Yeah, we're we're recording. We're recording. <laughs> we're doing it. Okay, cool. <laughs> you had me there for a sec. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there, there was danger of it falling into a real conversation. Then. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Well, this is it. This is it. This is perfect because this is that that kind of spontaneous flow of conversation that we're looking for. Yeah, I, I was just going to say a thing back to what you what you were saying that. This, this this idea of uh, this kind of fake personality thing, I completely get it. I get why people do it, because it bloody works. Be, like like yeah. you said, it works, and you get hundreds, if not thousands, if not tens, if not hundreds of thousands of followers. 
particularly on YouTube or Twitter, if you can force the personality. But I always just yeah. feel like it's it's a short term it's a short term game for a long term loss because you just find yourself and I've seen it so many times, you just find yourself in two or three years' time questioning why you did it and feeling mm. trapped by your own fake personality and <laughs> feeling trapped by the fact that you've got to talk about this particular thing because you built an I don't know, you built a niche around I don't know, books or something like that. You've got to talk about books for the rest of your life. Yeah. It, it just doesn't feel like a good long-term play to me. No. Makes sense. I mean, you're putting yourself into a kind of prison that's made of, you know, niche or or a certain type of personality, that's that's going to ultimately lead to burnout and it's going to make you kind of feel a sense of you're banging your head against the wall. That's going to, that's going to, take out of your ability to expand and to keep coming up with new creative content because you kind of over time you're going to start not looking forward to the process which is key for content creation you want to you want to make sure that there are all kinds of avenues that you can follow and if you're following the same formula and you're restricting yourself to a certain set number of um you know topics or, or one niche which i see a lot of people doing um they're not going to last very long you're right it's not it's not a very enticing way to stay in the game so you, you want to, as a content creator, you want to make it interesting for yourself with each one. So things like not having a specific set outcome for any one video is, is what's helped me, for example. Like, I don't really know what I'm going to say before I say it, but at the same time, there is the danger of falling into like a kind of rambly, too long video. So, so I think for me, the process is about finding that balance, which is for me, a form of mastery in itself. It's like, how can, how can I get better at, bringing kind of a certain spontaneity and organicness to the process of creation. So I'm not boring myself through, through it, but at the same time, I'm not boring the viewer as well by making the video, the video go on too long type thing. So it's a constant process of exploration and discovery, which is, which is fun for me. Mm. Have you tried podcasting before? Have you ever explored that? I have. Yeah. Um, I had a podcast that I was kind of doing a solo kind of monologue for through through red lemon club one of my previous blogs that was when was that like four or five years ago that kind of lasted like 18 19 episodes and that kind of petered out and then i did another podcast interview show maybe a couple of years ago interviewing a few people and just sort of i don't know what 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 it was down to that i gave up on it um probably just wanting to move on to the next shiny thing and kind of, um, finding excuses. I did keep the videos going and I find, I find that that, pro that structure, that setup is, is appealing to me because it means that I can just take my iPhone and just whenever I have a spontaneous idea, I can, I can film that, which is the way I like to do things, but I'm not close to the idea of continuing on with a bit of podcasting and interviewing and, and that kind of stuff. Hmm. I get look looking at your YouTube. Well, you've got quite a lot of followers on Twitter too, but looking at your YouTube, you've got more than the average with a couple of thousand. So YouTube was yeah. obviously kind of a priority or a focus at some point. Is it still like that now? Um I I'm always thinking about, you know, what's what's what role is YouTube playing in my life at the moment? Is it is it worth is it worth doing it? For me for me, yes, I've got a decent number of followers on there, but I think more than anything it's 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 more about my own 
self-growth really it sounds a, a little bit selfish but one of the main reasons for continuing on with with the youtube channel is just just to have a platform that i can explore my own thinking through and get better at communication that kind of stuff but i think more than anything it's just a, a place that i can kind of spew out whatever random ideas i have and try to keep it as contained and useful as possible so that i just get better at delivering and presenting ideas and at the same time you know elevating my brand and my name and getting you know potentially new clients and that kind of stuff so there are many reasons but um yeah i'm always that's that i think that's part of the reason i enjoy doing it because it's always there's always a question hanging in the air around like what's what's the purpose behind behind this and the thing is there are just so many sort of variables to it it's just been an interesting kind of adventure mm. seeing seeing what comes out of it it's yeah in, it's interesting you say selfish because I think about that a lot, and I, and I used to feel a little bit guilty about it because I, I, I really only started doing any kind of online promotion or marketing or whatever you really want to call it, probably a year and a half ago now, and I, and I started with Twitter, and I, I kind of got, you know, sidelined by the whole idea of providing value and writing these kind of threads and removing the personality, the kind of thing we began this conversation starting. And over time, I realized I was starting to get burnt out by it and not enjoying doing it anymore. And then I, and then I did start thinking about it a di- bit deeper. And I thought, this has to be for me. Uh, and And if I don't make this about me, I won't stick with it. And if I don't make it about me, it won't be interesting and people won't watch it. And it's kind of, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Because you you think, oh, I I need, I need to make something useful for somebody to sit there and watch or listen to or read. But the best things I've ever written or recorded have been things that have hundred percent been selfish for me. Like I've just come up with the idea and gone right. I want to talk about that. No thinking about an audience. No thinking about how yeah. it might help somebody else but they have and they've been the best pieces and yeah now i i purely follow that kind of that kind of heuristic when i'm making anything it, it i don't mm. i don't think about the value first i don't i don't think about who can i share this with or who this might connect with i literally think about something that i want to make and i make it mm. i guess there, there must be some influence of having an awareness of an audience that plays a role in that. I think, I think when I have an idea for a piece of content and I look forward to creating it, I look forward to writing it or, or making it, there is a kind of very distant concept of an audience there, which I look forward to sharing. That's the reason I put it online. It's the reason I upload all of this stuff. It's the reason all of us tweet is because we're, I think we're kind of guided by attracted to the idea of helping people, but maybe in an abstract way, but you're right. I think, I think 95% of the driving force behind the creation is just, an idea that we connect with ourselves. Um, and that's the best we can do really, because we only really know ourselves, don't we? We know we're kind of experiencing our own experience. So that's, that's a great place to, that's a great container within which to create content is content, which is working for you doing stuff that makes that resonates, connects with you. Cause if it connects with you and if you feel some kind of a connection to the creative process, then you know, especially having having done it for years, you, you'll know that people will tend to respond better to that. Mm-hmm. And if you're trying to do it the other way around, which is to kind of start off with 
right, what what's the kind of thing that this sort of audience will connect with? You're only adding additional pressure. It's like you can't really guess what that's going to be like because you're you're stepping out of that. Um, um, you're, you're just kidding yourself, right? You're not you're not speaking to your own emotional experience. It's like I'm just guessing, and of course that that's what creates a dis- disconnect, and it's lo- no longer fun if you're trying to plan something for you know in mm. a kind of you're kind of going through in a blind way. But I know what you mean. Yeah, so that that that's great advice for any, anyone who's creating anything. And this has been a question that's come up a lot. It's like, do you create it for them, for an audience, a market? target market or do you create it for yourself and i i still think it's not a hundred not necessarily a hundred percent for you i i think there is there is some role for the, an idea of, of an audience to be played in this um i think for example once you do a lot of stuff and you create a lot of content, you start to get a, a very rough idea of the kinds of things that connect well with people. So that, that can play a little bit of a role. Mm-hmm. It's like what kinds of things tend to do well that that can feature in my creative process. Mm. But more than anything else, you want to write for yourself. You want to make for yourself. Yeah. I, I know what you mean. Yes. There, there is an element of an audience, but for me because i've been in because i've been a designer and because i've been in marketing for so long for like 16 years a lot of mm-hmm. that intuitively comes to me so the audience isn't really the 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 first or the second concern or even the third one it's kind of like a distant concept somewhere back here because i you kind of know it don't you you know it more intuitively yeah. <clears throat> the, the more time you've done it mm. But what one of the big changes I made was to talk about things that only I have experienced, which you you kind of touched on, because yeah. only then can it can it feel genuine. You can say the same things as what everybody else has said, but when you're saying it because you've lived it, people somehow intuitively know that you're saying it from a place of experience, rather than doing it the other way around, like you said, where you focus on oh. I am targeting niche X and niche X enjoys reading articles about niche X. So I will write about this. It, it, yeah. it for me isn't a sustainable way of doing that kind of thing. Um, if you want to keep enjoying Makes sense, it. Cause you're, yeah. Cause you're, you're kind of operating based on assumption, aren't you? You're kind of writing or creating based on what you think someone else might connect with as opposed to directly kind of plugging it into your own, your own self. And you're only doing your audience a disservice by doing that because you're creating distance between what you know to be true and their receipt of the content. It's like, it's, it's going to be crap basically. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is. It, I think that, yeah, oh, no there go. could be a bit of a sliding scale aspect to this, which is like, you know, people who are just starting out and creating whatever they're creating. Um, I think there's probably a bit of a process to go through in terms of like getting a feel for what other people, other humans tend to resonate with. Yes. And then, uh, you know, the, the more you kind of get that feel for it, which is what you've obviously been through. Uh, and I've been through it as well through, you know, hundreds of articles and, and, um, creating hundreds of illustrations and stuff like that, that you, you, you do start getting a feel for it. 
and it becomes it's like you know driving a car you start you, you wouldn't be able to manually explain how you're doing it but you kind of get a feel for it and I, so once you've got a feel for something then it becomes a lot easier to just actually just let go and just do it for yourself i think in that early stage what many many people do in that early stage is very specifically try to find a niche and to the point where they won't write or create anything until they've found that niche what i mm. did the other way around and what i've seen work best for other people is to just create anything and everything and get the reps in and get the practice in so you can understand what you know what does resonate what you actually want to create what you enjoy instead of doing it the other way around where you're kind of quite precious about the fact that the first thing i make needs to be perfect because it is it isn't it isn't gonna be um yeah you know even now i've made thousands of bloody podcasts nearly a thousand images doodles like what you do and written loads of blog posts and I st still now i only feel like an amateur a lot of this right so yeah me too <clears throat> yeah it's it, yeah it, it, it's it's quite interesting um especially that beginner mindset i often wouldn't mm -hmm. often wonder with it with a lot of people where the, this is where the niche stuff is really difficult i think because it, it isn't as simple as money Twitter likes to make it out, or it isn't as simple as any most people on Twitter like it to make it out. This is the same as, as anything, really. Twitter is not a place for nuance. Mm. It's not really a place to get any deep and meaningful advice. But I don't think it's as simple as just telling somebody, go go, go find a niche and go make some content for, for that niche. There is so much more nuance to it than that. And it isn't as simple as just finding a, an audience and making content for that audience either. There's, there's somewhere in between. I think um, yeah. uh, there's this, there's some kind of balance of artistry versus marketing versus, uh, you know, the perfect storm of all these things coming together that mm -hmm. ma that makes that thing that people actually want to sit and watch or read uh, or consume. It isn't as simple as just following one of any of those things and and yeah, doing yeah. it. But that's not the kind of thing you can tweet, is it? <laughs> no, it's, uh, yeah, definitely not. <laughs> but yeah, no, you might be able to find a way to kind of squeeze it into a into a, a well um, proportioned tweet. But, um, but you're right. I mean, starting off with like a niche kind of hanging over you as a, as a new creator, maybe you've followed something in a book written by someone who's already way down the line, right? And they're talking about, you know, make sure you've got a clear audience in mind. You've got your little niche and you've got a focal point that might be taking quite a lot away from someone who, who needs to experience that breadth of experimentation in the, in the early days, as you say, like it's, it is key. You know, I remember looking back on a lot of what I've been doing and it might, it might look as if I've got my shit together in, in certain aspects in terms of what I create. But actually, if you look back over the trajectory, especially in the early days for it to have gotten to where it's gotten, you know, there was a lot of just throwing a load of stuff down onto a, onto a table and choosing the best bits and seeing what resonated with me personally. And there was a lot of articles written and, and a lot of um, tweets posted that I hated that didn't, didn't do very well. that fell flat, deleted. And, um, no one really sees that. So you're, you're right. Like experimenting is a key part of the process and niche doesn't speak very well to the idea of experimentation it's like i guess 
I don't know whether niches are something that we should include at all, really. But um, if you're talking about a niche, that's kind of like a stage or two down the line from experimentation, isn't it? Mm. I, I actually think we're quite well aligned as well with the way that we approach Twitter and a lot of these things. We mm. we don't just do one thing. You've got YouTube. I've got a much less successful YouTube than you, but I've got YouTube. You've got YouTube. You doodle things. I doodle things. You write tweets. I write tweets and all the sporadic parts don't really fit together. Do they? It isn't, it isn't a simple kind of, you know, I have, for example, I run design agency. I haven't got a podcast about design that I'm only exclusively doing. And I'm not just tweeting about design and I'm not just, I very rarely tweet about design or marketing, to be perfectly honest. Um, it's mm. kind of, it isn't niched down in that simplistic term. And you're, you're kind of the same with, with the way that you approach it. But the, the thing I've always had in the back of the mind, which has proved true over this year and a half, is that if somebody's looking for, for example, a designer like me, they don't, they're not looking on Twitter to connect with somebody who just talks about design because they don't want to read particularly about design, but they would connect with somebody who is talking about bigger, potentially more important things, who has a personality, um, and then occasionally reminds mm. you that they're a designer and shows that they're a designer. Yeah, that. Yeah, that's key. Yeah, that. Yeah, that kind of tactics worked better for me than if I would have just purely spoken about design never veered from the topic i actually think mm. that i'd in, that i'd encourage a lower level of client to come to me because it you're almost cheapening what you do by only exclusively talking about what you do that might that might sound strange but yeah in, in my experience it kind of comes across as that on twitter that makes sense i mean given that personality and depth and you know being someone who delivers a message that resonates that, I mean, that, that has value, a lot of value in and of itself. So if you, if you lack that, if your content lacks that personality, that depth, then you are, you are literally cheapening the product. You are cheapening the content. You could say that makes a lot of sense to me. If, if I come across someone who just sort of tweets flat tweets and there isn't a huge amount of depth then I would immediately assume that they're probably a cheaper product, perhaps maybe, maybe subconsciously. Mm. Um, yeah. So, so by seemingly doing the right thing, you know, following the rule book and saying, okay, I'm going to focus on a niche and perhaps this is, this is the way that the gurus say that we should do things. I'm going to do that because that's going to be better for business. Actually, it turns out it's worse for business because it drains all the personality and interest and juice out of what you create. Cause you're so bored with your own process. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. I, I actually did speak about this quite a lot on my old design podcast. I did used to have a design podcast, Alex. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, nice. But it was between me and another guy called Richard Baird, and we barely spoke about design. We we actually spoke about the deeper issues around design or selling design yeah. or, or, or all that kind of thing, went into depth. And we spoke about it a lot on that. And I, I, I always said, and, and Richard agreed, that it, it'd be, even though... Even though money Twitter and places like that have kind of completely devalued talking about stoicism or anything like that, it's actually more value, I think, to be to set your stall out and say, 
I am a designer, but talk about stoicism because it gives you depth mm. and it gives you personality. If we're talking about, you know, like pure, uh, pure players here following the rule book type thing, it would be better for me to yeah. say I am a designer and talk about stoicism and I don't know, life improvement or something like that because mm. pe people can see that I'm not just a bloody stupid designer. Um, it, yeah. it, it, it adds depth to the kind of thing. It's obviously kind of important to what, to what you do too, but the kind of thing that you mm. do is you do is a bit deeper already, but the, the thing that I do is often cheapened because it, it's kind of seen as a commodity almost. Um, it, it, it is a weird talking one. Talking about design and marketing, that kind of stuff. Or? Yeah. D design's yeah. a commodity really, isn't it? You, uh, right. and marketing's a little bit more woolly. Um, but design is generally seen as a commodity. Uh, especially if you, if you go over to Instagram, for example, there's people with millions of followers on, on Instagram, designers with millions of followers. I, I know a few of them and they get messaged all the time about, logo work and people won't pay more than five hundred dollars so right yeah there's kind of a mismatch somewhere there that somebody's got millions mm. of followers on instagram you'd assume that they'd be commanding high prices but they're not because they never they never talk about the underlying process of the thing that they're doing or they never talk about the reasons of why they're doing the things they're doing all they're doing is putting really pretty pictures online and assuming that people are going to connect the dots of their expertise um mm. and people don't yeah well i i think what you're seeing is when when you've got a designer who's only sharing their designs um you're seeing someone who's um lacking again it's i think it's that depth thing is it because you're not um giving yourself room as a designer to share about stuff and life that interests you beyond the design so there's i suppose there's less space for sharing stuff that you're passionate about that's, that goes beyond design. And in doing that, you kind of limit yourself as a, as a human in a, in a way. You kind, of, you kind of drain the personality out of that a little bit. And I guess that's potentially what's going to influence a potential client's vision of who you are in their minds. They'll see you as someone who only talks about design. And perhaps there's a little bit of a sense of roboticness in that because they see you only sharing one thing and you might be passionate about design, but there's always other stuff that you're kind of bottling in because you're not, because you're kind of st staying in line with this niche. Um, and that might, that could in a funny kind of subconscious way, influence your, someone's perceived idea of how valuable the product is because you're just this one dimensional character. You haven't got this added, bit of flavor about about you and your character perhaps i mean that's just me trying to figure that out mm. but i think it's an interesting topic isn't it because we're, we're talking about you know you know the difference between you know really thriving in business versus just plodding along on a kind of low level and to be aware of that kind of stuff even though it seems seemingly arbitrary in a way it's actually quite could be quite crucial it's like mm. And I think, I think it comes down to like, what, it, what is actually bringing you the creator to life? You know, I think people can sense that lifeness or lack of it. 
And so if you're doing stuff that sort of drains you a little bit and just kind of becomes like a process, like a rote kind of tedium, then people, I think, sense that, especially given the nature of social media these days. It's so packed and we've got such a strong sense now of like different personalities and who's doing this and that. Um, I think you can really tell who stands out. It's easy to see those people who are alive who are standing out. And I think that's, those are the people who are going to build those followings. I think we're going through a shift at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree, actually. I think we are going through a shift. I'm personally definitely going through a shift of becoming sick of a lot of these kind of tactics things. And I'm yeah. also seeing a lot of other people do it too. The, the thing I've always seen over my entire marketing career is is something of a curve like this. Uh uh, somebody will begin at the very bottom. So let's take just a, a simple creator as an example. It doesn't matter what they do. They'll start at the bottom and talk very specifically about the thing that they do. Very specifically, just like we were discussing. The only thing they talk about online is the is the niche. Call it the niche. Yeah. Then as followers increase and success increases and usually money too they start to get a little bit sick of it because they're talking about the same mm. thing all the time. They're talking, you know, they get bored. And then you kind of hit somewhere, and this is different for everybody, and then you hit kind of what you might feel is your peak audience amount of numbers that you can physically handle. You might get sick of replying to people on Twitter all the time. You might get sick of replying to YouTube comments. Whatever it is, there'll be something that makes you crack. And then when you get to that point, you start to do something that I like to call destroying your audience, where you mm. become sick of everything and you start talking about all kinds of things. And at this crucial point here is the point where the real person appears. And that's when you really start to get interested in following the person. If you follow the person mm -hmm. at the very beginning of the creator journey, or even in the middle, they'll be providing very good value or advice normally the content will be good that's why they're going up on this upwards trajectory but there's just something more human about the person who is at the top destroying their audience um who is actually becoming human who isn't bothered about the metrics and the figures who's actually talking about the things that really make them passionate about um yeah and i see that pattern over and over and over a couple of examples <laughs> Ed Latimer on Twitter, he he yeah. was always tweeting aphorisms, really good bloody aphorisms. I think he was one of the best people on Twitter when he first started doing that. Um, he was one of the first who really started writing objectively good tweets that I saw. And mm -hmm. at some point, I think it was maybe 60 or 70,000 followers, he started to get sick of just purely writing aphorisms. And then he started dropping a few jokes in. And now he's at, like, what, 130,000 followers or something. And he's pretty much joking all of the time. Uh, and it's mm. and to me, it's much better for it because he's human. And then somebody, mm. like, somebody like Jack Butcher, too, he used to purely tweet amazing tweets. I'd say that Jack Butcher is probably one of the best tweeters, which is a weird thing to say probably one of the the best short form writers i've ever seen in terms of yeah. the way that he crafts them 
the way that he just writes them perfect to go viral, essentially. And that's why he went from zero to 100,000 followers that pretty quickly. Mm. Um, and then I think it was, again, about 100,000 followers. He just started being a little bit funny and a little bit more human to the point now where he's, he's deep into NFTs like most of us are, and he's, he's just joking. He's just joking about everything now. There's no seriousness mm. there whatsoever. Uh, and I, I, yeah. I, I see that curve over and over and over. I always think it's better when they reach the top. I think I'm on my way. I'm not quite in the joke phase yet. I mean, I throw a few in, but I can I can feel it coming because like there is there is a little bit of frustration that can come up through just just sticking to your guns and and, and uh, you know retreating the same the same kinds of ideas, and you can get get into that flow of rep- rep- repetitiveness. Yes. So I can kind of, I can feel it coming. I can feel, I can feel the cracks falling. But I, I think what, what, what we're seeing is a kind of like a moment where you realize that there's, you haven't really got much to lose. Right. And that's, that's when the creativity starts coming and that's when you can kind of relax a little bit. So, so it's sort of like we're dealing with two types of value you know, we've got the value of just like being t- totally all in focused on creating well-crafted tweets in this case. And the value is there. People like it. Cause it's like, you've got your attention on it and you're, taking care and you're crafting it and then there's a moment as you say where you kind of flip around and you kind of get whatever it is you get a bit sick of it or um you just sort of you feel you've got enough success under your belt so that you can now relax a little bit and kind of just open up a little bit and that's a new kind of value isn't it? it's a different it's, it's almost as if you've you've got a different personality in there but people have seen your process so they know what they know what you are capable of but they can also um enjoy this new version of you so yeah i see it all the time but i I know you mean it's 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 authenticity isn't it there's a there's an appeal in that just someone being willing to just let go and not care as much yeah 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 there there absolutely is uh and it's it's interesting because i always wonder if somebody like to take the same examples, Jack Butcher and Ed Latimer would have done it the other way around. So if they would have started with uh, being funny, irreverent, not that serious, just joking mm. around, would they have built the same audience? Probably not. They probably wouldn't. I have don't done. think so. No. no, I doubt it. Um, and it's just a, it's a strange, strange old journey that. that we, we all find ourselves we have to go on where we have to remove the personality shackle it a little bit yeah. maybe straight jacket it just a tiny bit and then mm-hmm. as we as we go on and go on and we feel more comfortable and our audience and people who are coming on along with us feel more comfortable with us we can start to remove it a little bit and then by the end of it you, your shirt's off you're swinging it around your head and and there's the there's no seriousness left um I'm I'm always thinking yeah. is is there kind of a way and this is kind of the point that I'm at now because I got to five thousand followers and I was I was already sick of it and I thought five thousand followers stick in the mud that's enough for me I'm going to start stop being the way that I was before and and open myself up a bit and mm. now I I feel like I'm in a position where I can continue to do it and I think that's quite important. I can continue to to be myself and I can continue to to just 
create things all all day every day because I enjoy it. Um, as long as you don't miss that point, I think that's quite important. As long as you don't miss the point where you start getting really sick of the things that you're creating. Obviously, the worst thing that you can do mm. is build a following of 80,000 people, say Twitter or whatever, and you are so sick of it that you just quit. Uh, and and you've got this big following and you just don't want to do anything with it anymore because you've kind of burned out from doing it. So yeah, careful about there it. is a big risk of that for many, yeah. Perhaps it's just a, a part of the evolution that people need to go through if, they're, if they want to stick with whatever platform they're on. And people are at risk if, if they're not willing to traverse into that new let go, kind of, you know, take the piss phase. There's a risk of them just getting so sick of it that they that they might end up leaving. Um, so maybe it's just a kind of it's part of a of a set, very expected, as you say, kind of curve or evolution that people. Maybe not everyone goes through, but I think a lot a lot of people who don't go through that kind of flip could be at higher risk of just getting sick of it and I, leaving. I, I think we're seeing it accelerate now you alluded to it, this kind yeah. of new new kind of creator. And I think we're going to get to the inevitable part of where we're about to talk about NFTs. Sorry, Alex. Um, <laughs> I, I think... I'll try my best. <laughs> we won't go too deep into technologies because I don't know them either. But what's interesting from a marketing point of view, putting my marketing wanker hat on for a minute, is, <laughs> is the fact that it seems to be to me that NFTs and crypto is aligning with this kind of new kind of creator at the same time. And it's lo- it's lovely to see because what what's happening is people are kind of proving themselves through crypto or NFTs. And then because they've proven themselves, because they've made a lot of money or because they've launched a project, they don't feel the need to conform to the rules that we've just been talking about. They don't need to be serious, even from the very beginning, mm. because they've proved themselves already, literally on the blockchain, and you can look yeah. up their wallet and see how much money they've got or their successful project, and you can see it all live. And it means that we've kind of got these free these free spirits online that still uh, are providing good value or good content or whatever you want to call it, but they're not shackled by that same thing that we've just been talking about. And I'm seeing that happen, happen more and more, especially now as I get deeper and deeper into NFTs, these people who have made a killing in NFTs, not, not conforming to these rules, even for the, from the very beginning. And it's very nice to see, I must admit. Hmm. So there's something to be said about a kind of sense of, um, sense of achievement that's been reached that looks like there's, you know, there's been a parallel drawn between what we've been talking about before and this, you know, people who've done well successfully with, with NFTs, maybe they've sold a good, a good chunk. They've sort of, I guess their kind of vision of who they are has shifted a little bit. They're no longer this sort of fresh faced person who's new onto the scene of NFTs. They're not, they're no longer new to it. They've seen some success and they feel a little bit of a rise in themselves. And with that, in the same way that someone who's, um, seen some success through could have been very formulaic tw- tweets, but they've seen the success. They've seen the, the, the growth in their audience. They've also kind of achieved a similar sense of success. And with that, in the same way, they've kind of been able to relax and kind of do their own thing. And that's probably what we're seeing is a kind of sense of like, okay, I've, I've, I've looks like I figured some something out here. Let's, let's relax a little bit. Let's, 
feel like I've kind of found who I am as well. I'm, I'm not kind of second guessing. I'm no longer kind of like um, putting all this pressure on myself. I, I feel like I've kind of found my little space here. So let me just, let me relax. And I think that the conversation really what we're having is kind of ultimately about creativity, isn't it? It's about like how to, how to get to a state or a, a place where you're no longer kind of interfering with your own ability to kind of express yourself and relax. That seems to be what this conversation is kind of the, the central thread is. Right. Um, and then ultimately how that engages with their audience and people who tend to be more relaxed and more expressive and more creative tend to have a stickier audience. Right. I think that's what we're talking about, isn't it? Mm, oh, absolutely. I, I have gone through that exact journey in a very, very quick one and a half years even Mm. well i've been podcasting for longer than that so i've been podcasting for about four years and when i first started podcasting i started a podcast about design business and marketing uh and and it was terrible it was a it was a terrible podcast and it was very stuffy and formulaic and just just boring and Mm. and then i started this podcast but the first 170 episodes i think it was of this was solo episodes like what you did and they were a little bit less stuffy but i was talking about self-improvement and um things that i thought was objectively valuable so there was a thing in my head that i was thinking more than myself what is going to be valuable for somebody else rather than what's going to be valuable for me and then Mm -hmm. This kind of leads full circle to probably about three months ago where I started a new podcast called The Wednesday Audio, which is just stupid, essentially. It's a, it's, it's a fever dream of a podcast that is, uh, is, is kind of a comedy podcast, basically. Um, but I would never have done that as the first podcast. I would never have dared to essentially yeah. be myself that's all I'm doing, being myself online right. four years ago, uh, which, which is so mm-hmm. which is so strange, isn't it? So strange because you, you feel like you have to not be yourself online for people to pay attention to you. And then eventually you realize at some point in the future, when you come back around full circle, you realize, oh, it's, it's, it's me. It's me that people like. Mm. It's 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 not it's not necessarily yeah. even the thing that I'm talking about. It it's me. Mm. Uh, it's such a weird revelation. Yeah, I suppose there might be a few fortunate ones who who are able to start something new and already deliver a lot of that personality and that kind of relaxed yeah. expressiveness that that can take a while for for others. But I think I think in general it looks as though there is there is a kind of an evolution that we go through and it's, there's, there's absolutely no shame for anyone who's starting out to wonder why they haven't reached that kind of level of like chill, which they're looking for, which their audience is looking for. It take, takes a while, it takes months and years. And I guess the more, the more you create, the more you do, the more you you know, the quicker you're going to get to that. Yes. Even this. Interesting. Even, yeah. even what, yeah. we're, what we're doing right now isn't really that easy. <clears throat> To, to somebody who first starts creating. And I, I think that's yeah. the prob, prob, obviously a problem with a lot of society, that things look easier than they actually are. Uh, and particularly with Twitter, you see you see a good tweet and you think, well, it can't be that hard to write. Uh, 
and then you realize when you've written a thousands of thousands of them that aren't as good that it is actually quite yeah. hard to write 380 good characters yeah really is an art and it takes it takes a lot of uh, mistakes and a lot of willingness to make repeated mistakes to look stupid um and that that really for me makes a difference and if you're willing to kind of stay with it i'm starting to sound like my own tweets <laughs> you're willing to stay with it long enough and go through all those mistakes sounds cliche of course but that's what's going to separate the you know those who kind of stick around and those who those who experience the full spectrum of that evolution which very few will get to i think most most are kind of bombarded with too much failure and too much of a sense of self-judgment to, to ever get to that point where they can just go, you know what, okay, I'm just going to relax, which is what people are looking for. Yeah. So when when's the point, you said you're not there yet, but when's the point where you were... <laughs> Um, I don't, I, it could, it could be something to do with like the containers that we're working in. I think, I think there might be little evolutionary spectrums that exist within different social platforms. Right. So I might have achieved it on something like YouTube, but I, I don't think I'm kind of at that kind of let go place on Twitter yet. I know that I've got a fair few followers and stuff, but I, I still feel like very much a beginner. And I still feel like I'm still figuring it out. Cause I, I kind of feel like I took quite a lot of time away from Twitter and I think things have changed so much. that I feel like I'm still, I feel like I've just kind of jumped in again on a new, a new thing. So for me, it feels like I'm in that kind of first Ed Latimore, you know, first year of just figuring it out and putting out as much as I can and getting a sense of what, what clicks and what doesn't. And then just waiting for that frustration to, to kick in so I can start taking the piss out of everyone. It seems as if you're 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 going through that phase at the moment, right? <laughs> I, I am. It didn't take me very long to get to that stage, to be perfectly honest. I think it took me about. Mm. If I if I think back to the trajectory, I started tweeting, taking Twitter seriously as I would have called it back then, um, and I, I was writing ten tweets per day, aphorisms, Ed Latimore type tweets, and it took me probably. Attitudes. Yeah, platitudes. It took mm. me probably three months <clears throat> to get very bored of that. And what I started doing at that point was so, some days I'd go, oh, I don't want to fucking do this again. And I just I just wrote whatever came to my fingertips. And, and those mm. kind of tweets, whilst not always doing better in terms of likes or, or anything like that, I enjoyed them more and I got more interaction. And... And then what I kind of noticed after doing mm. a, a couple more months of that was that when I jumped on Zoom calls with people, a little bit like what we're doing now, people would say to me, which I found quite surprising, people would say to me, you know what, you're exactly like your tweets. And mm. when people said that to me, I thought, well, that's that's the job done, isn't it? The, mm. the, the whole point, I think it was, uh, I think it was Benjamin George that said this on one of the last podcasts that I did with him. He said the, the the whole point of Twitter is to kind of give somebody a feeling of what you are, almost like a business card, but a 3D business card. So somebody could just go to your Twitter profile right now and just scroll up and down it and read maybe 20 of your tweets and instantly synthesize your personality, really. Yeah. Um, and I, well, I, with a caveat, I think once, once you've gotten to that, that later stage in the evolution, I think that's that's when the business card becomes more real. I think a lot of people are in a yes. kind of earlier stage, including me, it feels, 
where I haven't, I haven't yet had that kind of sense of luxury to be able to just sort of let go and write whatever I want. Cause I'm still trying to figure out what works. And for me, that kind of pushes me, I think towards just, I want to, I want to exhaust the platitudes first and then, um, but I, I'm, 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 I'm getting close. I think it just, I, I can, I can feel the, the pushback from what comes out of sharing, you know, meaningful enough tweets, but it just doesn't feel like there's enough in it. And there's not, there's not enough of a breadth to the range of stuff as well. There's not enough humor in it. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. I mean, hu- humor, um, humor is not right for everybody, is it? If, if, if you were, yeah. if you're not a naturally funny guy, or if you if you're not, you know, if you're naturally a serious person, you should be tweeting seriously. If if you naturally yeah. take yourself quite seriously, that's the way mm. that your Twitter should be. A little bit like you know, Naval type type thing, I guess. But if if you are, True. if you if you are irreverent and and you don't take much seriously, and you take very little seriously, like me, then that's mm. re- that's really for me the kind of flavor that that should should be coming across i i, I think a lot yeah. of people tend to look at for example naval and go i want to tweet like naval but mm. you're not naval and you'll never be naval because you are you and that is literally a tweet i've tweeted about 20 times you mm-hmm. you, you you need to be you need to be more of, more of yourself with caveats obviously there's this certain limits to the twitter format that you need to stick to but i think there's more variance in that than a lot of people realize Mm -hmm. the thing that i often do these days is i'll write a serious tweet then the very next tweet as in i'll reply to my own tweets or make a mini thread basically the very next tweet will be something silly or poking fun at myself for tweeting that kind of thing and i i I feel like for, for me at least my personality that feels very genuine it doesn't feel like I'm mm-hmm. I'm trying to fake it or play a character, um, and I, I think really it's finding that thing for everybody, isn't it? It's finding that thing for you that, that yeah. just that signature, that little signature that you need to put on something. Yeah, and it takes a bit of practice. It takes doing it. Just takes diving in. And I think what we're looking for is is just I, I guess the guidelines for what works is is if it connect with it, if it makes you smile, if there's a, if there's some kind of an emotional buzz through writing it, if it feels like it isn't you, if it feels like you're just trying hard, you'll know it and your reader's going to feel it as well. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've, I've tried on many occasions to try, you know, I had, I had a voice in my head saying you should, you should be funnier on Twitter. And I, you know, I'd sort of write something that I thought would be funny and just fell completely <laughs> flat because I was trying, trying to be funny. So that, that kind of stuff definitely doesn't work. So you kind of, but then there are other occasions where I've written something that's felt funny. I've laughed at it and it's, and it's done well. So you've just got to kind of go off your own. It's, it's got to feel right. And the more, the more of this stuff that you do, the more you're going to get a sense of what, what feels right. So it's, it's very like people kind of take this out of feelings and stuff, but like it, a lot of this is a kind of a feelings based thing, isn't it? So it sounds a little bit soppy, but I think that's kind of the way to go, isn't it? But not too much, you know, less formula formula yeah. and more just feeling your way through. If it feels right, if it feels funny or whatever it is, powerful. I, I, I agree. Put it down. I, I, yeah. I, I specifically use feelings almost exclusively and, and kind of a, yeah. 
I don't know, a, a, gut, a gut feeling or a sense or something that I, I'm, I'm going in the right direction. Or there'll, there'll be there'll be outside mm. outside things that show me that maybe I'm going in the right direction. For for example, when I switch from writing exclusively platitudes to maybe being a little less serious, people started commenting on things more. And I thought, oh, mm. right, people are talking to me now. People don't feel afraid to interact with the tweets. You know, I'm, I'm coming across as a bit more human. And that was one thing I thought that was kind of a thing in my head that ticked and went, right, okay, you, you've changed it enough for people to understand that you're a human, not just a, a stream of content that people just get to sit back and not, not consume, uh, not interact with. Mm. And then another, another thing yeah. that kind of came up like that recently for me was um, I queued up a load of tweets. I went into, went into Hype Fury and I queued up 30 tweets or something like that. And by the end of it, they were getting very kind of platitudey and very boring. And yeah. one one of the first tweets that came out, the second it posted, somebody replied, one of my friends on Twitter, and he said, "Where's the real Craig gone?" <laughs> I'm like, "Yes, yes, that's perfect. That's that's exactly what I want to see. If I want, mm-hmm. I want people to hold me to account if they see something, yeah. and not only hold me to account, not be afraid to take the piss out of me." for being a little bit not like me i think you know you've kind of got to the right place when you're like that but a lot of those things i just said they're completely feelings they're gut they're gut reactions there's no metrics to those Mm. yeah it's difficult to kind of define exactly how to reproduce it i I guess you you know when you've when you've been out and about that tends to be helpful get you know you're out on a walk and you've got a kind of moment of insight i guess whenever your mind is a little bit stiller that tends to be quite conducive to um tweeting and writing and creating better it's like you're not thinking you're not trying too hard and i think when you find yourself in a, in a moment where you're listing out literally 30 tweets you're, you're going to get to a point where you're you're pushing it a little bit and you're going to be overthinking it um yes so i think it also comes down to um how you how you collect ideas like you, you get better at that as well over time, right? So like over, over time, you'll start realizing that, okay, I'm going to need to carry a notebook around because if I'm if I'm going to show up at my desk and force myself to write 20 tweets, it's not going to happen. It's going to be flat tweets. I'm going to have to try and find a way to capture those moments where a great insight comes to mind and it feels right. So a lot, a lot of Twitter for me is, a, is about capturing spontaneously decent tweets getting better at that capturing those good tweets spontaneity is really important i think and it's massively Mm -hmm. underrated uh particularly on twitter and i say this as a person who fiercely schedules nearly all of his tweets um yeah but there's there's always a thing i've never really known how to put this into words properly so this might not come out right but See how we go. Yeah, <laughs> over over a long, long period of time, like I said, sixteen years of messing with marketing for clients, I've always and and I, and I've always done a lot of talks and things like that as well, a lot of kind of public speaking. There's always uh, when there's an element of danger, things are more interesting. So, pe- people can intuitively recognise that, and I think people can intuitively recognise that on Twitter too. Not so. So the way that I use this, particularly, just take this podcast for example. I prepared two questions. 
we I haven't asked you either of them. And that, that there's a danger that can be kind of palpably felt. There's a palpable danger to, to what's going on. And it was even more dangerous when it was live streamed as well. And that makes it interesting. That makes people want to watch it because there's potentially something going to go wrong. It's the F1 car crash type situation. Um, but it also puts us both on edge and kind of fires us up a little bit. And I think that's yeah. the same with Twitter. I think people can tell intuitively when a thing doesn't have the dangerous energy around it, that it hasn't been a spontaneous thought that you've had on a walk or, you know, that's just popped into your head and you've tweeted. Even if you've queued it, mm-hmm. I, I don't think queuing it really matters, but they can tell when the idea wasn't spontaneous. Uh, and you can't plan that. You can't plan that. You can't force that. That's the difficulty. Uh, yeah. That That one thing there not to just keep heaping praise on Jack, but that one thing there was the thing that I think made Jack's tweets so special, that they were spontaneous thoughts. He never, as far as I'm aware, over-engineered them too much. He, mm. wa- he wasn't looking at 30 tweets for inspiration and then trying to rewrite them, basically. It was a spontaneous thing that came from experience or knowledge or something that, he, that he'd seen and then right. in, in that moment, you write the perfect tweet and it never comes again. Mm. And that kind of thing is clearly a priority for someone like Jack. I mean, at a certain point, he would have said to himself, I'm, I'm going to make sure that every tweet that goes out, I connect with personally, isn't some manufactured rehash of an, an, another tweet, part of his strategy. And that's that's key as well, isn't it? Because it's, it's ultimately about you know, raising that value um, making your stuff good, making it, making it resonate. And so I'd, I'd be willing to bet he had a, a pretty good system of collecting his spontaneous ideas well, and then collecting those and then running those through his hype fury or whatever. Um, mm. it, interesting. You talk about da- the, the dangerous aspect. I wonder, would you, would you equate, a tweet with a feeling of danger around it to the, the types of spontaneous tweets that you get when you go walking. Is that, could you define those as dangerous or is that different? Yeah. Because they both work. They both work. Yeah. No, no, I, I think you do. I think you can defi- define it as dangerous. I think maybe, maybe sponta- think spontaneity. What hinting at then is, is may- maybe there's something about truth in it. Yeah. So the, da- the danger is, reflecting a truth but you can also have a, a non-dangerous truth perhaps <laughs> yes that you pick up when you go walking yeah yeah absolutely i think i think there's the there's the element of it um that you don't know whether it's going to do really well or not you don't know whether people are going to get it. it it's it's kind of a, a slightly yeah. potentially a slightly subversive idea something that you that hasn't been proven before maybe somebody said it before but it hasn't been proven before. Just like me trying to explain this idea of danger, it's something that's yeah. a little bit different, and only I could say it in that particular way. It's certainly not an original idea, but only I could have come up with it and said it that way. And if I was to tweet it right now, it mm. would feel quite new. Whereas if I would have done the the kind of the other thing that even I do sometimes, but I know a lot, a lot of people do it more than I do, where they kind of, 
look at tweet inspiration and you go, right, I know that tweet did well, so I'm going to rewrite that tweet ever so slightly, and then I know that the tweet is going to do well. There's this there's kind of just a, a perfection to it that isn't interesting mm-hmm. to a lot of people. It'll do well, get a lot of likes and get a lot of retweets, but coming right back to the beginning, is there just something missing? Is there the personality missing? Mm. Do, does that really say something about you when it isn't when it doesn't have that unique piece of danger or personality inside it you know what i mean a bit yeah, of an it's, esoteric it's idea tricky with twitter because yeah i think with twitter it's tricky because you're, you're dealing with such a limited amount of words and a limited amount of space that you probably can take an idea that was dangerous initially and, and did really well and maybe you know invited criticism those, those types of tweets tend to do very well the ones that are a bit polarizing yeah. and, and you you could take that tweet having seen it done well and then shift it a little bit and it can do as well or even better but i think the reason that that works is because you're you're able to within the small container of twitter to kind of emulate emotion and within a small limited space you can't really do that so easily on a, a longer form video, for example. I think there's something there's something to the kind of limit of Twitter that allows you to kind of make little shifts, and it will probably have a, a strong impact. But you're right; like you don't want you don't want to play with that too much because you want every tweet to be as original as possible. It's it's about playing to the medium, isn't it? You're absolutely right. On Twitter, you're so limited mm-hmm. that that's the way it's got to be done. But then when we come to a medium yeah. like YouTube. Or podcasting. This is what I was kind of getting at earlier with the whole. You you are with Twitter. The advantage of the medium is that it's three hundred and eighty characters. It's quick. It's lacks nuance by design. That's all the things that Twitter mm. is. The very fact with podcasts is it doesn't lack nuance. That's the whole point of podcasting. So the whole yeah. point of podcasting is we essentially have an infinite amount of time to discuss something. Obviously, we don't, but the if you and I sat down, we have quite a long amount of time, 60 minutes, whatever. That's a long time mm. to talk about a topic with nuance, and I think we've done that. So if, if you apply another medium to, to podcasting like Twitter, where you try to be brief and you lose all the nuance, you aren't really taking advantages of the medium whatsoever. If if you try to make a shortened down, edited, very interview heavy style podcast, you're losing the advantage of the medium. And I think the the yeah. I feel like the same goes with YouTube as well. The advantage is you potentially have a set amount of time that people like to watch a video, and if you kind of fall outside of that, and you you lose the purpose of the medium. Mm. Um, it, it's. Yeah. It's a careful. You want to be balance. aware of the medium. You want to be aware of it and make make the most of it. A lot of people are potentially mis- misusing it, and because they're not turning the medium into the springboard that it can be, um, you know, allowing their content to fall flat because of that. But mm. yeah, it's interesting. But I mean, Twitter's always a good kind of talking point because it kind of acts as a kind of microcosm of all the other ones, and it? it's like a kind of mini version of a lot of other platforms and media. Twitter is fascinating. Twitter is very fascinating. I've talked about it on my podcast a lot with a lot of people. I equally hate Twitter as well as much as I love it because Mm -hmm. 
when you choose to follow, Why you keep coming back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think when you choose to follow somebody, okay. I can't remember who said this now, but when you choose to follow somebody, you are choosing to be brainwashed by them, and I think that's very true. Yeah. Um, and I, I think Twitter is a very powerful medium like that. That, for example, I see at least a couple of your tweets nearly every day, and that is mm. giving you the opportunity to inject your ideas into my head and that's that's pretty damn powerful there isn't there isn't done yeah there isn't any other medium like that i don't think there's any other medium like that that's so direct that's so quick obviously you can share your ideas on other mediums you can write an email newsletter write a blog have youtube have an instagram but there isn't any that's direct where you follow a person to consume their thoughts and opinions and read them like that. The the written word in that case is so direct and so quick. And that's what's so fascinating about Twitter, I think. There just isn't anything else quite like it. Yeah, I agree. And I think a lot of that has to do with the limitation that's set on on the size of the, the amount of the content. And because it's so small, a lot of us are more willing, more welcoming to allowing that content in. Whereas if it was a video, it's much more likely that someone's going to turn away from it, you know, put it on a watch later list or whatever, and never get around to seeing it. Whereas with, with Twitter, it's, it's like a, it's much easier to kind of hook someone in with a smaller piece of content, right? Hence everyone's letting a ton of tweets through and can also, you know, lose hours of their day to, to letting brainwashing tweets come through the feed. But uh, because of the size, and I think that's a really big, a big aspect of it because of the, the small size of it, we're able to get, get foot indoor more often. Yeah. And that leads to other things that leads to, you know, becoming addicted to somebody's tweets, which might otherwise have not happened if it was a big video or a blog. Yes. I, I, al- mm. I always, always see Twitter as kind of a springboard to everything else I do. Ev- everything I do, I put on Twitter from email newsletters to podcasts to videos to I always put it on Twitter. I always see it as a springboard. Mm. Um and I think that's probably why I'll always keep it. Whether I'll always tweet as much as I will, probably not. But I'll always keep mm. it because I think it's a perfect place to keep up even me using it uh, as a consumer, it's a perfect place for me to keep up with other people that are doing interesting things. There isn't anywhere else I can do that. I can't get, uh, for example, I can't get an RSS feed of you and know where everything is. Um, that's what Twitter's really good at as well, I think. Yeah. Well. Yeah, especially if I share all my content through that. Yeah. Um, mm. Yeah. That's I, think, man. I think we've come to a natural end. Um, <laughs> there we go. That was, that was great. Enjoyed that. Have you got anything you want to say in this final minute or so? I've started the outro music, so you've got about... Th- well, okay, if you're interested in you know following what I share, go to um, yeah, I am Alex Mathers on Twitter. I think as we as we spoke about, Twitter is a nice central hub for a lot of what I create. So head over there and follow me there. Cheers, man. It's been a pleasure and it's been fun to actually finally sit down and chat. Likewise, man. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And every time I say this, I always say we should do it again. And I agree. Let's do it again. Yeah, up for that. <laughs> Absolutely. Even if we just spoke about Twitter, that'd be 
good, I think it could be interesting. Secondary actually. conversation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll see Things would have changed so much in that time. I'm yes. sure it would be interesting. See you soon. But, um, yeah. See you, man.